just before we get into God's Word, just uh, pu publicly thank you for your ongoing support of us. Uh, do you know it's 20 years ago that we joined WEC? Wow. Can you believe that? Some of you can, some of you can't. You know. <laughs> it's 20 years, yeah, so, and a lot's happened in that time, 12 years in Spain, and now f it's our fifth year in Sydney. Even that's like, wow, <laughs> how did that happen? Um, but we're thankful, so thankful to you for your prayers, for your um, ongoing financial support, all that that enables us to continue doing what we're doing. We hope you're keeping up to date as we send our monthly updates and um, very happy to have you email us, touch base with us. We love to hear what's going on in your lives as well. So uh, we do endeavour to answer those individual emails. So, um, yep, just want to again acknowledge and say thank you for all that you do for us. Uh, let's, let's pray as we get, open God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can just pause now in silence and yeah, thank you for that time of praise where we've been able to focus on your name, uh, that you are almighty, that you are sovereign, that you are Lord of Lords and we thank you that we can experience that uh, in by, in truth and in our hearts as well. And Father, as we come to your word now, would you open it by your spirit and uh, speak through the words that people hear. May they not be my words, but, but your words. And Lord, challenge where needed and uh, do a, a work of uh, challenge and transformation in each of our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation where the challenges of that situation or the difficulties were so difficult that you found it hard to find a way forward. It might have been a troubling health issue, maybe a financial difficulty, uh, struggle in the workplace, a whole host of different things often come our way, don't they, that make life just really tough at times. And I think you'd agree that one of the things that we all need from time to time, maybe for some of us more than just time to time, is perseverance. Um, because you realize that in the spite of all that's going on, um, you just need to press on and keep moving forward. Uh, even though those steps might at times seem to be slow, we really need to make sure we have that forward direction, that perseverance. I want you to take a look at this brief video clip which I think illustrates, for me at least, in, in an inspirational way, the meaning of perseverance. And before we watch it, just a bit of context. This is from the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. Now, I'm far too young to remember that. But for those of you who might be able to remember that, this was the women's marathon, the first ever Olympics uh, marathon in, for, for women. And the last uh, little part of that was quite gut-wrenching, as you'll see. Um, from one very determined athlete, and we'll talk a bit more about that after you've watched it. So, thank you. Thank you. 
στο τελευταίο θα περιμένουμε τα κοντίνα με τραφικίνη θα τερματίσει όπως μπορεί θα τερματίσει έχει κάνει δύο ώρες 48 από τότε που ξεκίνησε ακόμα 30 μέτρα Κυρίε και κύριοι, αυτό είναι το μεγαλείο του αθλητισμού. Η προσπάθεια, η συγκλονιστική προσπάθεια. Και αυτό τι γίνεται. Τη χειροκροτούν πολύ περισσότερο από την νικήτρια και τη χαστίζει. Είναι σαν να πήρε μαζί τρία χρυσά μετάλλια. Γιατί για του Ολυμπιακού Αγώνε το ξέρουμε καλά, το ξέρετε και εσεί. Έχει σημασία η συμμετοχή. Φτάνει στο τέλο. Ακόμα ένα-δύο βήματα. Φτάνει και πέφτει. Πιάνουν, πιάνουν μια μεγάλη στιγμή, μια μεγάλη στιγμή το αφισμό. Το χωρίο είναι δίπλα για να την πάρει. Ο άνθρωπος νίκησε τα 42 χιλιόμετρα 195 μέτρα. Η μεγάλη προσπάθεια υπέληψη αυτό το μήνυμα που δίνει ο αθλητισμός το βλέπουμε μπροστά στα μάτια μας. I get goosebumps every time I watch that. It's incredible. It's just a, if that was painful for us to watch, imagine what that was like for her. Just a bit of background on this lady. Her name, I don't know if you, many of you remember seeing that even, but Gabriella Anderson Schweiss, I think she's a Swiss athlete, who was competing, as I said, for the first ever women's marathon in an Olympic Games. And at that time, the rule stipulated that there could only be five water stations throughout the course of the marathon and the contestants could not be given water anywhere else. And apparently she missed the last station. So obviously you can see the effects that had on her body. Um, and the, cr the crowd were gasping as she entered the stadium. Uh, staggering on the track, her torso was twisted, her left arm limp, uh, her right leg mostly seized. Uh, she waved away medical personnel who were rushing to help her. You saw the, those guys on the side, knowing that if they touched her, she would be disqualified. So she must have had enough kind of mental understanding to know that they couldn't do that, otherwise she'd be ruled out. So while the effects of her heat exhaustion were clearly evident, trackside medics saw that she was perspiring, which meant that her body still had some disposable fluids, uh, and so they let her continue. And there was the stunned crowd, you kind of saw a bit about them, they, and they applauded as she limped in around the racetrack in the last 400 metres occasionally stopping and holding her head, we saw that. And her entrance to the Olympic Stadium and the struggle over those last 400 metres, which took five minutes and 40 seconds to complete, made it a, a remo oh, remarkable, I was going to say memorable, it was both of those, finish. And I'm sure you'd agree, that was a gutsy effort. Now, it's highly unlikely that you will ever have to face anything like that at least in the physical realm. But metaphorically, I think you'd agree, there are times in our lives when we need to pull out all stops and persevere like Gabriella had to in that race and keep pressing on and not throw in the towel when otherwise we might be tempted to. 
for many of us, those of us who are disciples of Christ, there are those what we might call mountaintop experiences when we clearly sense God's presence in our lives and things uh, like couldn't get any better. It's like, this is great. But then there are also those times when we're in the valley, when we struggle to understand God's purposes and plans for us. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the reality for us, though, according to God's word, is even that he, that he never leaves us. And even when the going is tough, even when we feel like a marathon athlete staggering like step by step, his presence is constant, even when other things might be, appear to be shaking around us. And the passages that Cheryl read to us, um, I think really highlighted this fact that, well, they're a wonderful reminder of one of the most important priorities that we as believers can have, and that is of knowing Christ. So we're going to have a brief look at that through these two passages of this theme of knowing Christ. And what does that really mean to know him? You know, for some of us who have had the privilege of growing up in Christian families and the church, sometimes that knowing Christ can be a head knowledge, and that's important. We need to know what we believe in, in, in our minds. Um, but there's also the heart, that heart, the working out in the heart, isn't there, and the, the living that out of knowing him, not just in our minds, but in our lives and in, the, in, the, in our actions. Philippians is a great letter, isn't it? It's a, it's a combination of theology and practice, and someone described it as Paul's joy letter. I love that. And the church had, had really become, had, were a joy to Paul. They were a great encouragement to him, and this, this book is woven, uh, or the theme of affection and, and warmth and thankfulness is, is woven throughout Philippians. And in chapter 3, he makes reference to this theme of the joy of knowing Christ as his greatest passion. And we see that in chapter 3, verse 8. And he acknowledges later on in chapter 4 that knowing Christ is a lifelong process. Perhaps not in those words, but that's the intent of what he's saying. It's not an overnight thing where you come to Christ and everything's, that's it. You know, no, not at all. It's uh, this process of what is called sanctification, working out of our faith on a daily basis and becoming more like him. And in verse 12 of chapter 3, Paul uses this phrase, press on, indicating, at least I think, a determination of his walk with Christ. Press on. If we think of that, you know, it doesn't mean we kind of come to this point and we've got it all together. No, pressing on is, is moving forward step by step. And sometimes for us, you know, it might, at least for me, it feels like one step forward and can be two back. And you think like, oh, I don't feel like I'm getting very far, but... God is gracious and he's patient with us, isn't he? But I think with Paul, this pressing on is a sense of intensity and a striving, such as those that are shown by an athlete, those that we saw on the, on the screen from Gabriella. And it's with a humility of spirit in knowing that he cannot attain to this full measure of Christ alone. You know, Paul was a wonderful, he had an amazing transformation, didn't he? Incredible. He, as Saul, he persecuted the Christians, he, he just this great disdain for them, but then with this amazing Damascus, Damascus Road experience, he, he was a transformed man and, and uh, was greatly used by, by the Lord. 
but he, st- he recognised his inhumility that he needed the Lord. He, he couldn't do all that he could on his own. And there's principle in that isn't there for us. But let's take a bit of a look at these verses. Verse 12, Paul humbly recognises that he is on a journey in terms of his walk with the Lord. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. And when he says all this, Paul is referring to what he's outlined in the previous verses and that specifically the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So this was his supreme goal, if you like, to know Christ. I think if he were in church with us this morning, he would have a word of exhortation for us too, and challenging us, how, how well do you know Christ? You know, how, how is that lived out in your life? And the, I guess the question is, what does that actually mean, and how does it happen? Again, the reference before about growing up in a Christian family for some of us have, uh, or the church, we can take that for granted and think that because we come on a Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, or even if we're involved in ministry, that, that that's enough. But actually, it's not. As good as those things are, we need to have that, uh, that ongoing individual relationship with Jesus um, and spending time with him in his word, listening to him, taking time to be still before him. Those other things are great, those work, the working out of our gifts, but it's, it's all for nothing if we're not really in line with walking closely with the Lord. It's interesting that in the Greek, Greek language, the Greek was the original language of the New Testament, there are different uh, words for the phrase to know. And I think this can be helpful as, as we understand this passage. And they have different meanings. For example, there's one that, that means to know a fact or know information. For example, if we were to think today about that, it would be like, I know that Tim Payne is the captain of the Australian cricket team. And what a great cra- captain he is, isn't he? He's Tasmanian, which makes it even better. So we know that as a fact. That's information. I don't know Tim personally, but I know that about him. There's another meaning of to know, <clears throat> which is more intimate or more personal. And that's, uh, for example, I know my wife Coralie. I know her after nearly 25 years of marriage in May, by the way, just if you want to you know, write, note that down. <laughs> May the 28th, 25. That hasn't happened overnight, my knowing of her. That's been a life like a year after year process. I know her, I know what makes her tick, I think. I know um, <laughs> mostly what she needs, and I, I know her. So you can see that that's a different knowing to the first knowing. And that one is what Paul's talking about, the, the coral example, but on a spiritual level. He wants us to know Christ on that level, deeply, intimately, personally, and that doesn't just happen in an instant. It happens as you spend time with someone, So we need to be spending time in his word, listening to him. And that's so hard sometimes, it is for me, isn't it, to stop and and listen to God. We're so quick to want him to listen to us, but are we listening to him? One of our missionaries who's working in Central Asia shares, regularly shares stories of ways in which God is working and how he's encountering people 
who are seeking to know Christ on this level. And I wanted to share with you a story that he shared recently about Abdul. I'm not sure if Abdul is his real name, but we'll call him Abdul. It's appropriate for this cultural context. And he says this. Last month when I met with Abdul, he told me that he'd been reading the New Testament and other Christian literature. He had read that Jesus is referred to as Lord, so he asked me to explain this. I sent him many different passages to read and then said to him after, that after reading the New Testament, there are only two possible conclusions that you can come to about the identity of Jesus. Either he's Lord or he's crazy. Abdul replied, well, I wouldn't call him crazy. And I understand from these verses that Jesus is the word of God in human body. I was surprised and excited by this. And I replied, yeah, that's true. I was so shocked and happy that he's beginning to understand who Jesus is. And this has been a real thrill for this guy, our missionary, because he's been plugging away in that area with seemingly little fruit, but then he gets an experience like this, has an encounter with this guy that makes it all worthwhile. So please be praying for Abdul and our friend, our missionary friend who's working with him as he's on this journey of knowing Christ. And he's doing so in a, a spiritually hostile place where there's a cost to being a disciple of Christ. Well, that's Abdul in Central Asia. What about you in Olveston in 2019? Do you know Christ? Do you really know Christ? I'll leave that with you to ponder. Paul goes on in the second part of verse 12. He continues, he says, he presses on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Here there's a reference to the cross. Christ reaching out to us, rescuing us, and that demands a a response from us. And we will respond, even if we don't do anything with that. That's still a response. Um, yeah, so, again, how, how, are we, how are we working or accepting what he did for us? How is, is that transforming our lives? So, firstly, in verse 12, we've got this thing about pressing on with a desire to know Christ and grow in him. Again, have that image of that athlete in that race. She pressed on, didn't she? She didn't give up. She pressed on, even though it was just very difficult. Secondly, we press on, or Paul encourages us to press on, with an urgency to share the gospel where God has placed us. Now, we'll just switch to the Romans passage just to reference this. He says, The longing of my heart and my prayer, this is Paul to God, is for the people of Israel to be saved. And, and then in verse 14 of chapter 10, as those words Cheryl read to us, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? For Paul, nothing else mattered. Not even his religion, he knew, his, he knew the scriptures. He was a learned dis, um, scholar of, of, uh, of the scriptures, but not even that was enough to save him. Not even his career or his past accomplishments, only Christ. 
His Damascus, his Damascus Road experience when he met face to face with Jesus changed his outlook totally. And his single goal was Christ. And for, this was the very thing that kept him going, wasn't it? Even as he went from place to place sharing what the Lord had done for him. And Paul was on mission and he wanted everyone else to be on mission and to share what God had done. He'd given up all for the sake of the gospel and sacrificed all of those worldly accomplishments that were mentioned in the previous verses of this chapter. So clearly there was a cost involved for Paul in following Christ. And obviously there's a parallel for us. There's a cost for us too. Obviously the culture for us is very different and the, the persecution or the, the, the pushback that we might get is very different, but still there, there can be pushback. And there is a cost involved in following Christ. Dying to things from the past, dying to that, dying to self, and in order to follow Christ and embrace all that he has for us. And this has been the experience of Sam. I'm going to call him Sam. Again, that might not be his real name, but that doesn't matter. The, the story is true. Sam is one of the first Kurdish believers from a strong part of the communist Soviet Union. One of our colleagues in this region shared the following about Sam recently. I've just attended a large meeting and met up with Sam, who had, who we, uh, sorry, uh, let's say Sam. Yeah, who had been one of the first followers of Jesus in that area. Despite the hindrances to him being a believer in the Soviet time, and also from the very hard opposition from his family, and Yazidi society, Sam persevered in his faith, here we go again, perseverance, and began translating the Bible into his mother tongue. 30 years later, the entire Bible had been successfully translated into his dialect, and as a result, several groups of believers had been established among Kurds of the former Soviet Union. Many of them have learned to read in their mother tongue why? Because the New Testament had been translated in their heart language. Isn't that amazing? Sam's goal from the very beginning, just like the Apostle Paul, by the way, was that his people, in this case the Kurds, would be saved. And with great intentionality and a sense of urgency, he set out with great determination to make the Word of God <coughs> available in their heart language. Isn't that an incredible story of one man's intentionality to start translating small parts of the Bible and yet then it became, the New Testament was totally translated and it's available for the people in their heart language. And again, as we've discovered, as some of our people overseas have discovered, it's so important to, can I have the water please, Jeff? Sorry, going dry. Thanks. Um, so important to to learn the heart, the heart language of the people because that's what they resonate with, you know. It was like when we were in the Basque country, um, the Basques spoke Spanish, but yet they would listen more if you were able to communicate in their heart language, which is very different to Spanish. Uh, it's almost like permission to enter into their space. And this is what some of our people face, um, especially in the first one to two years of language learning where they seek to get that 
so accurately so then they can communicate with their, the people that they're seeking to reach. And this is what Sam did, this guy. It's an amazing story. And again, that sense of urgency that he had to see his people saved. So we're pressing on, aren't we? We're pressing on with determination, with urgency. And finally, the third point, three points, good Baptist sermon. Um, <laughs> pressing on with the joy of knowing that there's a prize that awaits us at the end of the race. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Again, he says, pressing on toward this goal, yet it's in the context of leaving behind certain things which are not helpful. And it's actually been suggested in this passage that those things for Paul are actually a reference to his triumphs in the Christian life, not so much a reference to his failures, which is interesting and perhaps highlights the importance for us that while accomplishments and successes and God using us are all good things, um, we shouldn't glory in those because he wants to do more in us and through us. Um, yeah, so what about us? You know, are we living out our Christianity with in constant reminders of the past, when God did a certain thing and used us, or we saw him move, and are we still in that time? Or are we seeing him, or asking him, to once again do a new thing for us and in other people? Like the Apostle Paul, we all have spiritual gifts and talents, which are from him. And I wonder, are we seeking to use those as part of the body of Christ? Or are we, in a sense, resting on our laurels and letting other people do that because it's, you know, out of my comfort zone or other people can do that. I, yeah. Uh, so we need to be thankful for the past but strive and move forward to what is ahead. What are those things in the past? What about those things which have not been helpful to our growth? Maybe there are those um, or have been times of deep bitterness and unforgiveness and things that have weighed us down and effect, affected our walk with the Lord and our relationship with others. Or maybe just a sense of general apathy, kind of, she'll be right, mate, that Aussie kind of expression. Sometimes we can take that on board, can't we, as disciples of Christ and reflect that, which is not always a good thing. So maybe there are specific things which are holding you back this morning. Why not repent of those and leave those at the foot of the cross and do business with the Lord this morning? So what was this prize that Paul talks about, this prize that awaits him at the end of the race? Well, it's probably obvious to you, but in case it's not, it's uh, the blessings and the rewards in the age to come. When our time on this earth is done and we see him face to face, that will be our prize. What an awesome prize that will be. And that'll be something we can have for eternity. It won't be a temporal prize like the athletes in the marathon or any Olympic, any sporting thing where you, the winners get a trophy or something tangible to hold on to. Now, this is something far greater than any tangible thing. It's uh, the, the, the promise of eternal life with Christ. So hopefully three points to take away, but in case you've forgotten, let's go, go over them again. Number one, press on with that desire to know him and grow in him. Remember, not the growing about just facts of information about God according to his word. Those, that's good, 
but a relationship that knowing him intimately and personally. Secondly, pressing on with an urgency to share the gospel where God has placed you here or maybe where God might place you in the future. Are you open to that? Are you open to saying yes to him, to maybe being relocated somewhere else to take the gospel to another context, maybe another culture, another country. And finally, pressing on with that joy. It's a joy, isn't it, of uh, knowing that a prize does await us that can help us move forward in confidence, knowing that this is all worth it. So as we close, I want you to think back to the image of that Swiss athlete. Um, you can probably see that I'm being pretty impacted by that um, uh, image. Um, do you recall her body going in all sorts of directions? You might have thought when you first saw that, oh, what's this person doing? I don't know. What but I uh, don't need to see it again. Oh, there she is. Yeah. No, there she is again. Yep. You know, that image of just instability and, and lack of cohesion and direction in her, in her, in her last few metres of that race. And there may be times when you feel like that, um, when you feel like it's such a struggle and you just can't press on, you can't, don't seem to be moving forward in, in a straight direction. Don't give up. Let me encourage you to press on. Um, keep persevering and trust the Lord that he will see you through whatever you're facing. And one final question as we, uh, to ponder as you leave church today about these I've mentioned a couple of examples of people groups, Kurds, um, that example of the Central Asian context of people, Aussies, who have left here and gone to these contexts, these countries, to share the gospel. Did you know that there are 16,000 people groups in our world, 7,000 of which have yet to hear of Christ? And that figure in itself is mind-blowing. And demands, I think, or calls for a response from us. There are so many yet still to hear. And Paul um, reminds us in that Romans passage about um, how beautiful are the feet of those who take the good news. Um, what, what about you? What, what, what will you do with, with that thought of these millions of, it's, a third, it's actually a third of the world's population, statistically, that are yet to hear. Here we are, so blessed, so fortunate, um, and yes, with a responsibility, that's true, in this place to share where God has called you in your workplace or your family, your neighbourhood. So please take those opportunities. Um, maybe he's nudging you for something different, something out of that comfort zone that we, we, we have. Maybe it is to what we call an unreached people group. These people groups that have yet to hear. Love to talk to you about that. These guys here, will, they've been in that zone. They've had experience. Please talk to them after church. Ask them, what, what was it like? Tell me more. Um, sometimes it's just uh, an unknown, isn't it, that holds us back from taking an extra step or even praying for a people group. Maybe if you love to pray, take one of our prayer guides and pray for uh, an unreached people group. Of, as I said, there are 7,000 of them yet to hear of, of the, the love of God. So I'll leave that with you. May you know God's uh, hand upon you as an individual as you seek to follow him, walk with him, 
And please pray for our people who are overseas. Um, these days it's becoming harder and more hostile. There are some countries where you just cannot get into, some countries where people have to come back to our country for safety, um, for the safety of the people, the national people. It gets dangerous for some missionaries to remain in that country that God's called them to. It's very, and that's not easy. You know, they've sacrificed a lot. They've, they've um, yep, left all as it were and lots of questions for them as they need to return. You know, what's God saying in all of that? But please pray for our people, for perseverance, what we've been talking about this morning, for um, just that God would do a work in and through them so that these nations will be reached for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the world you've created. Thank you for the many, many different people groups that are on your heart, that are people that you've loved, you died for, and so many of them are going to a Christless eternity because they have no idea of the gospel. Father, would you please um, speak to them through dreams, through visions, through people who are taking the gospel to those places, and we ask for your protection over missionaries, over um, Christian uh, workers, over national believers who, for whom it's a cost to follow you. We pray that they will persevere and have the joy of knowing that the prize awaits them at the end of the race. Uh, and for us, whatever you have for us, Lord, do your work in each of our lives and help us to know uh, clearly from you where, where you're leading each one of us. And if that means stepping out of our comfort zone, help us to have courage and boldness to do that, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.